Welcome to Cars on Call. I am automotive journalist and gastroenterologist Steve Schutz. I'm here with co-host trauma surgeon Stefan Moran uh, and COVID-stricken collector, <laughs> car collector, connoisseur, consultant, Adam Sunset. Yeah, that way he's wearing his mask so we don't we don't catch it through the airways. Um, so, we're, uh, buddy, you know you sound good. I'm glad you're here, Adams. You're doing all right, right? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. This, this, this actually, this podcast is a bit of my medicine. I'm on the about the fourth day day of it and pulling out, feeling a lot better. Beautiful. Well, we we got a lot. This is going to be a show. I'm, I'm very excited about. We're going to start talking GM uh, specifically. Mary Barra, the Wall Street Journal had essentially a hit piece on her, but it echoes uh, topics that we've talked about. We're going to talk about car spotting. Uh, Stefan, it was one of your daughters that spotted an amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, car, it's gonna, I can't wait. It's gonna be great. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna launch on that. You're gonna launch, <laughs> and then uh, trauma surgeon safety. I will just remind our listeners we have a trauma surgeon who's a car guy who has operated on countless car crash victims, done research on car crashes. No other show has that. We have it. So, Stefan, it's amazing. Hey, but we got we got you, <laughs> GI, um, journalists, and we got Adam's connoisseur, man of. Uh, many minutiae details stuck in his brain. So, uh, yeah. I, 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 how many times does Adam say something? You're like, how the how the heck did he know that? Yeah. Uh, how the f did he because know? Because I'm that? making so, it up. And it's Christmas. This is Christmas week, so we're going to talk toys. Uh, we all have toys that we remember from our childhood. We're going to bring that up and and go through that a uh, little bit of a misty memory, and then we're going to end with a hundred twenty five thousand dollar collector car. We've talked about. Uh, cheaper collector cars. Now we're going to pick that and Stefan will set the stage on that. So um, so I'm going to start right now with a rant. And we have talked and I have talked about Mary Barra, who's a CEO of GM and some of the missteps that she has done. Well, the Wall Street Journal weekend edition had, I would call it a hit piece. And they went through all of the significant problems that have occurred under her watch. And I'm going to start with the what they said in the first paragraph they described and we have talked about how cadillac has lost their way they they described a 2018 senior executive team meeting and there was a pitch to produce a high-end cadillac that was internal combustion engine and had a v8 and mary Barra killed it it was far along in development ready to go ready to not ready to launch necessarily but close and she killed it and said, no, it has a V8. We want to be electric. And this was 2018. It was five years ago. It started with that. Of course, the implication is uh, that if Cadillac had that today, they'd be competing with Range Rover and Lexus more, you know, and, and Mercedes, et cetera. Uh, but uh, there's and there's more to that meeting that I'll get into. Uh, I'm not going to take too much time. But that was the critical starting point of the article saying she killed it. 2020 to 2025, there will have been, and it's almost 2025 now, $35 billion that GM spent on electric vehicles and self-driving cars to pay for it. They have leaned on pickups and big SUVs. That's good, but they have stopped investing in internal combustion engine cars, so that's bad. So these cars are starting to fall behind their competitors. They sold Opal. They pulled out of countries uh, uh other countries and other regions of the world to, again, save money. BEV sales now have stalled and Cruise, uh, their self-driving division, has uh, 
all kinds of problems. And Stefan, you talked and tanked. about. Yeah, they bailed on it, basically. Cruises well, they kind of had to because, right, you know, that that describe the accident really quickly that they just, they just had in San Francisco that brought this all to a head. Yeah, a pedestrian struck by another vehicle and the pedestrian was thrown um, into the path of the cruise vehicle. The cruise vehicle ran over the patient. Most unfortunately, the pedestrian was just dragged underneath the vehicle and the vehicle didn't really know what to do. Um, it just wasn't in the algorithm. And you can imagine that's 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 hard to put into an algorithm where it, a human gets struck, flies through the air, and lands in front of you. It's like you know, is that dropping from the sky or what? So, San Francisco pulled the license with GM on cruise, the whole project, and um, now they've lost. I mean, I can't imagine how millions, probably even approaching the billions of that is completely tanked. The stock is tanked, um, and just going on beating on GM. You know, they're supposed. They made all this big move towards BEVs. Yeah, well, they sell the. They sell what? The Bolt and the Lyric and, and a ten thousand pound Antichrist on wheels. The Hummer. That's it. I mean, we'll get to they're, that. They're we'll so get... late to the party, and then they can't even sell the ones they have. Yes, both uh, bets, and these are major, major bets. Uh, Mary Barra, who is she's been on the job almost exactly ten years. She made two big bets, electric vehicles, all electric vehicles, not hybrids, and uh, autonomy self-driving cars. And both of those bets are in big trouble. And you're right, Stefan, the, the, the cruise thing is a disaster, PR disaster and, a, and, a, and an investment disaster. So the plan A is not working. But if you are a good leader, you understand that these are moonshots and you have a plan B. And she has not... As far as I could tell, developed a good plan B. So she's sitting uh, there. Yeah, the latest plan B. This is from Babbitt, who works for GM. Um, they've decided that CarPlay and Android Auto have stability issues. And they say that it manifests as bad connections, poor rendering, slow responses, and drop connections. Those were his words. So he says that when people have issues with their CarPlay and Android, they pick up their phones, they become distracted, totally defeating the purpose of these phone mirroring programs. Well, first of all, I got to call bullshit. GM <laughs> has never tested that. There is no test in the, they have done no research, no work. That's pure, that's per, pure speculation on his part. No, what, where you spend time, you, I mean, people are going to interface with their vehicle. You want them to choose an interface with which they have familiarity. Okay. We all have familiarity with our phones. We know how they work. You get in a rental car at GM, try to set the damn settings for the temperature, the HVAC, the radio. No, that is just complete bullshit. And I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, sorry, yeah. there's a, and they're they're putting their bet on that because they want to draw in subscription money, is what they want to do, basically. And uh I mean, I can tell you, I've already been reading the comments all over the web. People are like, forget it. I was thinking about a GM. Absolutely no way. Yeah. And and to be, uh, to we have a, we brought this up. And thank you, Stefan. We brought this up. Porsche has done exactly the opposite. They're, they're ditching their internal stuff. And they're saying, we're going purely Apple and Android. We're going to connect with those outside companies. Because just as you said, Stefan, people are comfortable with those interfaces. Uh, let me just say really quickly that... Um, if Mary Barra had, had focused on a plan B, here's two things she would have done, and she would have done other things too. 
she would have green lighted that V8 Cadillac back in 2018. And she would have, and I've said, we've all said this, she would have made a Bronco, or I'm sorry, a Blazer that was like the new Bronco or like a Jeep Wrangler. She would have done that. And she didn't. I think it's terrible. Um, also, that 2018 meeting, just, I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but it's worth saying, at that two, 2018 meeting where she she killed that Cadillac, that ended up ending the career, the Cadillac career of a guy named Johan Donetian. He is the guy who brought Audi from death in the late 90s to complete success in the 2010s. He did that by having these halo cars, which is what this V8 Cadillac would have been. The S cars and the RS cars of Audi were what brought them out of it. And it's such a shame. He ended up quitting at that time. And I never understood why. He never said why. He said it was a business disagreement. Uh, I thought it was very classy of him to not go into the detail. He just said, I disagreed. But that's what happened. He said, this is what we're doing. Mary Barr said no, and he he resigned. Um, I just think this is such a shame. And if um, if she had hedged her bets, they would have had those great cars. They would have still had Johan Donetian, and they would, I think, be doing it much, much better. And by the way, same thing. Instead of saying, okay, no, we're going to do BEVs, we're going to do cruise, self-driving, and we're going to do our own software, here we are. Mary Barra should leave. I don't think she survives this Wall Street Journal article. Well, you know, um, I, I think all those are very valid points. And I think she she came in as a bit of a pioneer being, you know, the female CEO and all those things that you can say about her, obviously having climbed multiple corporate ladders to get there. So she doesn't come without accolade. However, she has been CEO of GM uh, as long as only one other person in the history of GM. And that was Alfred Sloan. Alfred Sloan. Yeah. And so he he brings them to a worldwide and then global dominance to, to be, be the most valuable company in the world under his tutelage. And so if you want to say, well, he's like an alphabet or an apple or whatever he might be in the big, big pantheon of the biggest companies in the world, that's what he did. And he understood brand engineering and a few things now that maybe we look back a little askance at. But at that time, he had very few competitors and he clobbered all of them. And he created a different class of, uh, of, of, of corporate dynamic. I'm afraid Mary has been given more than ample opportunity to uh, equate or compete. And sadly, during the time that uh, uh, of, of COVID downturn and then pickup of, of sales, uh, their number one selling vehicle, the, the, the Chevrolet C-Class truck, uh, is down 14.7% from 2021. And they are not competing as handily. And I agree with you, Steve. A lot of folks would not know that the Cadillac V8, just to say that phrase, is kind of like saying the Ferrari V12. I mean, they pioneered that yeah. motor. They're the ones that came out with it. They brought it to the world, regardless of what we think about with LS engines right now. And just to say no and sort of like take a saber to all of it and chop it off and to fire Denisian, it's just I don't know. I think that was writing on the wall. It's just uh, th there was way too much capital investment in let's go BEV because that's what everybody wants. Well, it's not what everybody wants, and it's been proven. Yeah, well, we got to move on. But let me just say this. This is a good rule of life, and I think that she disregarded it uh, wholesale, and that is uh, you don't rest on your successes, but you don't walk away from them either. And that's a, a expression we all know. And she did. She walked away from the express, you know, the foundation of where GM is. So, yeah. All right, let's move on. And um, Stefan, uh, this is almost like a comedy break 
uh, the corresponding. So, so tell us about this, this car. Okay. So I was at the hospital working and, um, <laughs> and I get this, this, so I, I got a screenshot here of this dazzle girl this is my, my middle daughter, Lauren. And she, she sends me this text and I'll read it. I just drove past a soft top convertible Range Rover and it was the stupidest looking car I've ever seen. <laughs> and I'm like, I replied Agreed. back. Yep. And, uh, I mean, you know, I just, she, I can't even tell you the last time she sent me something related to a car, but she likes cars and, you know, she, um, you know, so here we go. Here is the range. Uh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. It is the, it is honestly the stupidest looking car. Well, there is one stupider and uh, here's another nice picture of it. So I'm going to, um, have another, but here's a, my all time favorite, Ugliest, before, before you show the Nissan, that 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 I mean, the Range Rover Evoke convertible is aimed at fashionable, attractive women like your daughter. <laughs> she thought it was stupid. Yeah, I think they failed. A swing and a miss. <laughs> a swing and a miss. <laughs> then previously on this show, I beat the hell out of the Murano convertible, which is even uglier. It's got some bizarre long names. So then, what I did was. I sent a picture of the Murano convertible to my daughter. Okay. So here's the punchline. So I, I said, I text the picture. I said, even uglier. She says, who the F a asterisk pound approved the design of that deserves to be fired. (laughs) (laughs) Right again. You know, that even though Steve, you said that was aimed at that particular subset of a subset of a subset i mean this is really i mean that is just both of those vehicles and they really do fit kind of the same god-awful profile it's like they they just um it's it, they just identify as enigmatic you can't really figure out what they're actually trying to be and that's a whole well, lot of money spent on becoming nothing well a car is a tool and it tool has to fit your lifestyle and do what you need it to do. This this is a tool that doesn't do any job. It's it's a lousy convertible. It's a lousy SUV. Yeah, and it's such a tool that it deserves the nutsack award. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, that's, totally. That's the best option on it. Yeah. Totally. I mean, you could imagine somebody at at some pro- product planning meetings, you know, trying to do something different and say something different. And some executive is like, yeah, sure. Let's why not? Because he wanted to be brave. Well, this is not brave. There's a fine line between, uh, <laughs> you know, from Spinal Tap, there's a fine line between smart and stupid. Well, yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. completely stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to safety. Which All is right. which is smart. Okay, so let me get this teed up here. All right, so we're going to, um, you previous listeners, back on episode eighty four, it was the safety segment was: Are you going to buy your wife an SUV or a minivan? And the reason I came up with that was that the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety had launched and updated a new test last year, and they call it the Moderate Overlap Frontal Test. So this is where you've got the, the the front of the vehicle strikes another with some overlap. And what they did was they decided to test the dummies in the back seat. So in addition to the front seated passengers, so National Highway Tra- Traffic Safety Administration and the NCAP, all the studies and requirements for vehicles are based on front seated occupants. Well, IIHS is pushing it. And they said, no, 
we now need to start focusing on the rear seated occupants. And they showed that the um, fatal injury rate is higher for belted occupants in the second row versus the front row. So they put a dummy, a woman or a 12 year old child. And um, so you think, well, has the back seat become less safe? No, not. It's been the same back seat we've had all the time. But technology has markedly improved for the front seated passengers because they've got to pass the test. So they have pretensioners on the seat belts. They got airbags. You don't have that in the right um, in the back seat. So they did that with the minivans. And I got real upset because, you know, these minivans are people haulers and they're people hauling their kids around. The safety is an expectation and they didn't pass. None of the four minivans earned an acceptable good rating. So II just, just did the same test again with midsize luxury SUVs. And this is where, a, you know, same thing. A lot of um, families are driving these SUVs. And the same thing, it's an SUV. You think it's going to be safe because it has great overall ratings for the front seated passengers. But now we've tested the rear seat passengers. So I'm going to bring up the slide here with the results. And um, so they tested the Lincoln Aviator, the Mercedes-Benz GLE, the Volvo XC60. Those are the only three that had good overall ratings. Um, in the Aviator, the rear passenger restraints and kinematics only got an acceptable. And in Mercedes-Benz, the head and neck on the rear passenger only got an acceptable. So kind of a toss-up, but the Volvo XC60 was green across the board. How about that? Yeah, Acura MDX, four on rear passenger restraints and kinematics. BMW X3, marginal. And then the Q5, the RX, got pores both in rear passenger uh, restraint and kinematics. The RX did a little bit worse. It got a marginal in the chest injury. And then here, once again, we beat on Cadillac, the Cadillac, leader of the world, excellence, number one, you know, the tout, the Cadillac. It is the bottom of this group. It got a poor overall. It had a marginal head and neck. It had a poor in chest, and it had a poor in rear passenger streets and kinematics on the uh, in the XT6. So here's another strike against Mary Barra and General Motors that, I mean, they're dropping the ball, um, you know, and I um, just this I think this is I'm glad IIHS is doing this and they're probably going to I'm hoping they continue down to the smaller size SUVs, which are also you see a lot of kids in the backseat. I mean, anywhere you go now, all you see are gray, white and black midsize SUVs. That's it. Yeah, I mean, they are so ubiquitous out there that that's what it's become the family station wagon, the family hauler, more so than the minivan. They do a little bit better than minivans, but not a whole lot better. Um, and um, if I was hauling my kids around, I'd look at this and um, I would definitely make some decisions about which vehicle I would purchase if I had my kids in the back seat, based upon this latest study from IIHS. Yeah, you know, the, top, Steph, the top three sellers here, the, the best seller of all these is the Lexus RX, and that's poor in the back. Q5, it's been out for a long time, poor. And uh, the, the BMW X3, it's really a shame. And uh, thank you for, for highlighting these. By the way, uh, you also mentioned, and I just want to say this because it bears emphasizing, you have two kids in the back seat sitting next to each other. There's a good chance their heads, they get hit in the side, their heads are going to clang together and they'll have head injuries. You've mentioned that. It's something I've never thought about. 
Right. Absolutely. When you have two kids in the rear seat, the first, the first thing with kids in, in the back seat of your vehicles is if they are the size of being a booster seat or a child seat, put them in it. Okay. That is absolutely key. Cause what that does is that makes the shoulder belt fit the kid's chest properly. Otherwise it just right across their neck. So, um, and I saw plenty of neck injuries in children from um, not being in booster seats with a rear seat rear seat seat belt parents walked away fine because they have the pretensioners the seat belts load to come into the airbag whereas a kid just has a seat belt boom is tight you know it tries to cut them in half and we saw that with the lap belts only but you're right steve if you've got two kids in the back seat you want them sitting on opposite side you think well i want one kid in the middle because if we get hit in the side they're more likely to get you know injured but actually they then become projectiles striking each other and you're really better off having kids outboard seats if you've got two kids and if you do have one seat one kid only put them in the middle um, but once again be careful on those rear middle seats especially in the suvs a lot of them will have a strange seat belt that comes off of the roof that is not mounted to the to the c pillar of the vehicle I mean it mounted low a lot of just so be careful i would not you know, if, if you have a kid, if your vehicle has one of those strange middle row, second row middle seat seat belts that comes out of the ceiling, I would not put my kid in that preferentially. I'd stay, stay outboard in that. That's good advice. You know, as I look at that chart, which is mighty interesting, it seems like the X3, unless I'm missing something, is the only of the smaller size with the Q5, MDX, XC60, et cetera, et cetera, are all midsize. And then the Aviator is a large, large vehicle. The Aviator should have performed better, I guess, if you're just considering about haul. You're thinking, you're thinking Navigator. Oh, I am thinking Navigator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. Aviator is the um, midsize. midsize. Yeah, it's okay. like it's, it's, it's like based on the Explorer. Explorer. Gotcha, gotcha. Is there anything like you know? It, it used to be that that Volvo just sort of stood for safety. That was the thing they pushed and and uh, it sort of rested on, and that's what they built a lot of their their branding around, at least in the 80s and 90s. What are they doing? Is there one thing you can say they're doing differently to get the green G's all the way across? No, I didn't. Combination. Uh, well, I think clearly I would have to imagine that they've got pretensioners. Um, I'd have to look at it. <laughs> I had to go into depth. I didn't do that. But I had to imagine that they have some form of pretensioner in that rear seat belt, which the others don't have. And it's and um, because this is talking about kinematics, so the way the seatbelt fit as well as the way the the crash dummy rides down the seatbelt. So I would have to imagine that would be my, you know, off top of my head explanation. I well, I'm proud that. that Volvo has not completely abandoned that stance. So good, for, good for them. And it is. Yeah, Geely's keeping, you know, Geely is maintained. They know what Volvo is known for, interior design, the kind of Scandinavian cool chic, as well as safety. Um, it, you know, there's been a few misses, but overall, I think Geely's done a fantastic job. Um, yeah, Geely, maintaining Geely is the Chinese owner. And you know what I think the differentiator is? It, it's it's one word, mindset. And it's a it's a total mindset on safety. And I think that's what differentiates them. And thankfully, their, their Chinese owners have, have been hands off and let them focus on safety. All right, moving on, toys. Um, it's Christmas week, and I'm very excited about Christmas. And who isn't? So uh, I thought, let's go through the toys that we really liked when we were kids. Uh, we're car guys. Every car guy has toys that are cars since they're like whatever. I, there's a picture that I still have. My my father gave it to me. 
when I'm in a high chair, I'm about a year and a half old and I, and I have a car and uh, it's kind of a fifties car, which is kind of funny. I was not born in the fifties for my kids, <laughs> if you're listening, but um, it's this car and I'm holding, I'm holding, I've had car toys all the way through, but you know, there's a favorite here and there and that's what I want to get into. Well, you know, Hi, we, Steve, I want you to go first. Well, this right. <laughs> jump on in there, Steve. My, my favorite one was kind of later in life, which was my favorite. But uh, I want I want Adams to go. For, all right, I'll start. Right. There it is. So I uh, started building model cars young. Um, one of the first ones I remember, I was in third grade, and I built. My father got me. My father was very good at getting me models, um, and I like to build models. I had a lot more fun building models than I did playing with cars, and. Um, you know, these were models out of plastic. You use glue to put them together. This was not a Lego type thing. Obviously, and... you sniffed a lot of it too. That's college. his attraction to the models. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing about because my somehow I heard about sniffing glue. I'm like, is this? I asked my father, is this the same glue? I said, I've been sniffing a lot of this stuff. He goes, Yeah, but you have to put it in a bag and and. Uh, Put a lot in there. Let me show you how to do it, son. Right. (laughs) How do you know that? But anyway, (laughs) anyway, um, I was always in a well-ventilated area. But my first one was (laughs) a a visible V8. You guys remember the visible V8? I do indeed. I do. It was a it was a big model. That was not right. Like a one eighth or something. Yeah, it was big and and it showed you how it all works, you know, the pistons and the valves and the the everything. It was it was really cool. So a visible V8 I remember building. And uh, and then I started getting into racing cars, and my favorite ones were Formula One cars <clears throat> from the seventies, specifically Tamiya, T A M I Y A. And I built so many models, and then all of a sudden I found Tamiya, which is a Japanese company, and the quality was so much better than everything else. I couldn't build another brand after that, so I built all these Formula One models. There were some other cars, you know, regular sports cars and stuff like that, Porsches and Ferraris and stuff like that, but. Um, Tamaya models with glue and uh, tweezers. That was my favorite mo- uh, car of all time. Wow. You know, I yeah. tell you, you're just talking about those models. Look at that. Yeah, it was great. It was great. The, the, the know, precision at, was great. At, at, at the time, and, and I, pre, I pre, predate both you guys, um, I come from a long line of glue sniffers. <laughs> and I, I remember very well, you know, it's sort of it's sort of like backdating from what we talk about. Oh, we're, we're into real cars and we were, got into real cars because we had a ride in and we knew somebody who had some some full size car. And that. But it all did start before that. And a friend of mine and I used to build a model car every single weekend for a couple of years, maybe wow. more. And we built before we discovered we, I did not know about Tamaya. We built Monogram and AMT, and Monogram was the lesser quality, I thought, and the AMT was a little better. But when I first saw my first Tamiya, I thought, wow, this is precision. It was a different league of of model building. Do you remember the last model car you built? I do. Yeah, I do. I do, too. I built a Jeep CJ7 to look just exactly like the one I had in college and I built mine in college, painted everything. And then in one evening of perhaps some drunken debaucherie, 
we flipped it and caught it on fire, just like I did to my own Jeep. Oh, yeah. So we, I don't have that model anymore. <laughs> a reenactment. Yes, we say. did a reenactment. Yes. Yeah. We were in the yeah. back. We cried. Oh, it was terrible. But, oh, yeah. geez. Yeah. That's funny. That's really funny. My, my last one was, uh, it was a Williams Formula One car, I think from 1982. I built a, uh, th th this is the only model I ever bought twice. I had a large, I think it was like a one twelfth scale Jaguar E-type coupe in yellow. Ooh. And I built it as a kid oh. and I built it poorly as a kid. You know, I probably glued the steering rack together and that wouldn't work. And the shocks were supposed to work and they didn't work. I built it as an adult and uh, it, it, it was mildly entertaining. And then for my birthday this last year, my son-in-law gave me a 1971 Bronco model. Wow. wow. And I re and I built it and I actually used Tamaya paints, which they make a paint line that is as good as any any automotive spraying paint you'd ever want in your life. Where is it? Uh, I, sh I should have brought it. I should have brought it for the show <laughs> sitting in a box in my house. I haven't oh, cool. on fire and flipped it over yet. Uh, yeah, that's funny. So, Savan, what was your favorite toy? All right, so let me pull this up here. Here we go. So um, I was a lot like you guys that I built models, but when I went to France, my grandmother gave me, growing me. I don't even me, know what I'm looking at here. I cannot. So wait. this is Meccano, and Meccano was the originator. Then in America, you had the Erector set. And then oh. Meccano ended up buying Erector, but she gave me one of these kits, and I would build all kind of cars, things, you know, starting very simply. You can see the wheels in there. And this is not the one that I built, but I did build a three-wheel um, car, you know, because I'd never seen a three-wheel like a Morgan until I'd been in France. And that was, I like to build stuff. And then the next one that um, I had an absolute blast oh. was the <laughs> Knievel stunt cycle. And... This this is where the things you this one you had you'd wind it and it had a little gyroscope and he would just take off flying, but I got for you listeners you have got to go if you're on Instagram. Let me get this pulled up here because this is totally worth it. I got to find it. Um, Safari, there it is. Share, but I got to go back here. There is a guy on in on um, Instagram called Official Evil Knievel. Wow. And, and he sets up the most amazing ramps on this toy. He's jumping all kind of stuff. He puts a he puts a cam on the guy. It is I just I'm mesmerized by this guy. And if you just watch if you're watching live, you saw the loop to loop. Well, the loop to loop takes me to my very favorite toy of all time as a kid. I can see it coming. You can see it coming. And I will never forget the day that Santa Claus dropped off the double Ooh. dare race action yeah. set by Hot Wheels. Yeah. I mean, so Hot Wheels, for you that don't know what it is, it's this orange plastic track that you put together. And they had Matchbox cars, but Matchbox cars were always boring to me. They didn't roll yeah. well. But Hot yeah. Wheels, man, you put them on a hard ground, they would fly. And then you got this orange track. So we would get all of our track together with our buddies and set up these gigantic tracks upstairs, downstairs, around the house. But when they came out with the loop to loop, that was defying gravity. And you just did not understand as a kid how that worked, but it was the coolest thing 
that you could ever see. So for me, the Hot Wheels was was the toy. And then here's the picture of two cars coming around the loop to loop and side by side racing. And that was that was it for me. The Hot Wheels was the coolest thing in the whole world. That is some good stuff. I tell you, you're bringing back memories for me before I get into my favorite one. And a couple a couple points. The the uh, the Evil Knievel stunt cycle. It appeared that the guy recreating those with the toy was more successful in his jump completions than was the human being. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, he doesn't Man. show all, he does show some crashes, but you're right. He, well, that yeah, the, I saw a documentary on evil and it is just unbelievable what that guy would do for an audience, but what a performer and obviously launched an entire uh, uh, brand for kids just to love. Steph, on the, on the double loop to loop, I bet you did the same thing. We would get such a high start to get the cars going as fast as we could to go up the loop to loop that there would be such an inertia push that it would actually slide the track apart. Yes, yeah. that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. You couldn't get them tight enough. You know, those things were probably going 250 well, scale mile per hour. Well, can you, you, we wore them out too because we were constantly taking them apart, putting them back together, reconfiguring. You just kind of ended up wearing out the little the tab things but oh, the, the genius of hot wheels it. is they didn't treat kids like idiots the monograms yes. they didn't roll they had no suspension they didn't turn they were like, like goofy underneath and the hot wheels you know you'd sometimes like you'd see the exhaust you'd see the gas tank you'd see a little indication of the suspension and they all had red line tires how cool is that yeah all right, all right. well my fave uh, th this came out um, as a uh, homage to a movie car, and at the time that I got it, Ooh. that one, the James Bond 1966 Aston Martin DB5, that one seen that that one probably looks just like mine looked. But the but brand it, matters. What's what's the brand? Uh, that would be a Corgi toy. There you go. Corgi, and they were really well made, very sturdy, very heavy. That thing is not plastic. I mean, the interior is, but, but the exterior, those doors open. And the cool thing about this, and it was my fascination, and here's a common thread I've heard all of us say, I was fascinated with the mechanics of it. Yes, the, absolutely the same thing. Yeah, the, you know, that, 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 uh, that not sunroof, but the ejector seat, which is, you know, the famous scene where, you know, James Bond throws out the, the evil man. That was a push button. One of those two push buttons on the side, actually the one up under the driver's door, you would push it and it would launch uh, the passenger seat up. And I, I, I would put, I lost the, uh, the passenger like yeah. the first day I got it and I was putting roly polies in and slinging them off into another world, but you would push the other button and the, the guns would come out the front. You would push the exhaust pipe and the uh, bulletproof yeah. shield would come up in the rear. It just had so many cool mechanical features. I was just obsessed with this car. And there it is in the silver birch, just like the movie car. But the thing that I remember in particular is though I loved, basically worshipped this little car, I was too young to see the movie. Because oh, I think yeah. I, I think there was cleavage in like three seconds <laughs> of the movie. And that, you know, I wasn't going to get to go, but that was it. That was the best part. Anyway, um, this was, uh, my parents had a pretty low ceiling uh, for pricing for toys. So I, I could never get a Corey G. Uh, I had a friend who had a Corey G and I was stunned because he had this exact one and he also lost the the James Bond guy or the bad guy who got ejected. But uh, I thought it was so beautiful. I just, I never had one. 
it was one I kept. I, I guarantee until my thirties, I have no idea what happened to it. But that was that was a winner. Winner. All right, Stefan. Yeah. Did you have a corgi? A corgi, Stefan? I, I I remember seeing this car. I don't think I don't know if I actually I don't think I had one, but I remember I remember this model, and I can't I don't know who had it. But it was like Adam said. Anytime you had a, a toy car, and the Matchbox were kind of boring. But any time it had a mechanical thing, that's just what fascinated me. Um, well, I, I got uh, a lot of toy cars for my three boys, none of whom became <laughs> car guys, despite my best efforts. So, um, all right, let's move on to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Uh, I think car. Adam, you had something else, didn't you? No, just I was, oh well. In 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 brief reference, I, I do remember going from the Corgi toys on up to HO scale cars. And I don't know, did you guys ever get into uh, the electric stuff? Following, oh, the I, I still have one. I still have a HO one sixty four car set. I'll, wow. I will pull it out on occasion. I love it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the next time we're together, if we're at your place, I I, I want to play with you because that was my obsession for couple three years the same friend who used to build models with me we got into uh the hl scale cars and and we would just get back in his room and fill we filled an entire guest room up and literally his mother took the bed out of the room we filled the entire room up with just track and tables and whatever oh, yeah. else at the time and my first one was a gt40 it was not golf striped it was actually a sort of a silvery purple but i can remember modifying that car with uh springs and different tires different gear ratios you could do all kind of crud to those and it really just started my interest in mechanical bits and electrical bits and those were fun because you could control the speed and the braking and stuff like that but my gosh that was that was some of the funnest years of just playing with toys of my life yeah when my son was 10 months old for his first christmas he got an electric uh ho car set <laughs> yeah it was just just for him just for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let, take us to uh to collector cars. And Merry Merry Christmas, everybody. All right, Merry Christmas. So yeah. uh so we're doing the elect uh, so you know we started off at what 35, then we went to 50, then then um Jeff Bank pulled shut us a car and is up around 120,000. So we said now you've really this is the one Jeff Banks as a former host and avid listener. This was 106,000 from McLaren 12C Spider. So we get the idea now. You know, you've you've moved on in life. You've you've had another big bonus. You're selling the other car. This time you're going big. You've got a $125,000 budget. And this kind of falls into dream budget or later in life getting ready to retire kind of budget. So Here's my $125,000 car. Oh, wow. I did not see that coming. Wow. So what I show, have your listeners is, so this is the Henri Chaperon. So this is a Citroen DS, which is one of the all, probably the, the all time. Next is the Jaguar E-Type. This is up there in the pantheon of all time ultimate designs. Hydro-pneumatic suspension, just way, way ahead of its time. And Henri Chaperon carried on the famous Cowroy's three of the French, like Fagoni, Fashishi, but Fagoni, and so you can say it, Adams, um, Kalahai, and um, all the, were that back in the day where they put different bodies on cars. And Henri Chaperon did, he turned the DSs into the presidential limousines, he turned them into station wagons, he made the convertibles, he made all kinds of variations. And there's a, a German company called Manufacture. And they still do these conversions license, and they've got the Chaperon name. 
And um, this one is in Antarctic blue, which is an absolutely gorgeous, a little bit darker than a, a mink blue, but it's one of these spectacular, um, what I would call a darker light blue. So a little bit of silver in it. It's got the wonderful cognac interior, um, completely redone. They reinforced the chassis, but this is not a resto rod. This is uh, truly, uh, they take an original car, completely redo it, modify it, reinforce it, and make it look brand new like it comes off the showroom. And I mean, look at this three-quarter view. It's just, I mean, it's just a spectacular car. And that would, this would be... Um, my two hundred twenty-five thousand. It's actually with the year with the exchange rates. One hundred twenty-five. I mean, I'm just sorry, expanded. Just expanded the price range. I'm sorry, one hundred twenty thousand dollars. That's Go a beautiful that. one. I, you know, the Citroen DS. I agree. It's one of the best designs ever. Uh, I, you know, it's it, they didn't sell many here. It's very much yeah. a Euro thing, uh, even though it is spectacular. But I just sent you guys a picture of. Uh, what I think is the most famous Citroen DS, certainly the most famous Citroen DS in this country. I saw it for sale a few years ago. It is Alice Cooper's uh, Citroen DS. Oh. And um, if you just Google Alice Cooper's Citroen, it pops up. Give me it's a, a beautiful. Here. I'm, gonna, it's I'm, gonna, a, I'm going it's, to bring it up. It's a resto mod, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's, there it is. It's got a great color. Go ahead. And, uh, if you weren't aware of this, Alice Cooper had pretty esoteric taste in cars. Wow. And I'm going to assume that that's almost got to be some American V8 thumping up oh, front. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think it's an LS. I think it's an LS, too. We got the Krager mags going on, you know. But it's still, what an incredible looking design. I don't know. I mean, that, you know, Steph, that was a very, very interesting pick. I'm almost surprised that car is only one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, and I'm not I'm not being flipped. Yeah, I, just, I may I may have I may it may be two hundred. I may have gotten my numbers <laughs> off. <laughs> it did seem a little nice. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think I might have got my numbers off. Um, I think I thought it was two hundred twenty five thousand. Let me see, let me. See. Let me let me look here real quick. Uh, we don't we don't need to burst. It's two hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Oh well, close enough. Well, it's, it's Christmas. It's, Maybe they'll give you a discount. It's Christmas, yes. Yeah, the market is declining, so we'll say it declined <laughs> down to one twenty-five. All right, Adams, go yeah. ahead and go with yours. You know, that there's a chance that car in its original state is maybe one hundred and twenty-five. Who knows? Because I mean, that that what year was that car, Steph? Oh, I think that was like a sixty-two or sixty-three. It's oh. unbelievable how advanced that car was. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's unreal. Absolutely. Well, you yeah, know, we were, the, we were talking about Jaguar, which is they had all these advancements. So did Citroen. They totally did, but you know, we've also said before, you know, the French copy no one and no one copies the, the, French. the French. And yeah. you look at that that suspension, the way the steering is done, the way the hydraulics are done, it's just like nobody cared, but they pulled it off and did it well. In in this price range, you know, it's it's interesting because you could go with something you kind of Steph sort of straddles the middle between what I'm about to say, something you kind of can't drive because you're trying to preserve its historical right. landmark beauty and you want to make it, you know, uh, some something for the future generations to enjoy and admire or something to even compare to. Or you're going to pick something in that price range and say, hey, for 125 grand, I'm going to drive it. I'm going to put miles on it. If it gets a little dirty, gets a little bit nicked up, I'm not going to cry myself to sleep. I'm just going to enjoy the car. And so, you know, I, we, we've picked all kinds of things on the way to this price range in this price range, I thought if this was my money, I'm going to pick something I can use. So I went way modern, 
and picked what I feel will be a car that'll be unrepeatable in the future. And that wow. there it is the Audi R8 V10 six speed. And you'll see that it sold just days ago exactly at this price range. And you maybe in the coming uh, sort of cloudy climate of declining car sales. And by the way, folks, if you've got a spare 125 or any amount of money to spend, keep your powder dry. We are going to start seeing some better buys come out in collector cars. I'm convinced of that. But this car probably would have been 160 grand just about eight, 10 months ago. And it's 525 horsepower of uh, Lamborghini slash Audi V10 with the fabulous click, click gated shifter. Uh, it is not quite as showy, nor is look at me sort of the way a Lamborghini might be. I think this one is, if there's such a thing as an understated supercar, you're looking at it. And I just feel like this is rare enough and unusual enough and unrepeatable enough. Uh, now, coupled with the fact that Audi has said they're going to quit making the R8 after this model year. And who knows what the future will be, if it's going to be BV or hybrid or whatever. But you're not going to see a non-turbo V10 mid-engine non-hybrid gated six-speed ever again. That'll be my prediction. Yeah, great pick, Adam. And I think in white like this with the silver blade on the side, and I love the five-spoke wheels. Yeah, I love that wheel too. Audi knows how to draw a wheel. Steve and I drove the Audi R8 at Sonoma. We did the R8 experience and what a fabulous driving car. I mean, absolutely just, you really you felt we could take it to the limits and I felt safe in it. It was glued to the road. It was very predictable handling, very livable. You've owned one, I know. And um, yep. great choice. I think that's a fabulous. Thank you. I had the V8 and, and I love the V8. I can only imagine what the V10 would be like. I think I that drove. design will stand the test of time too. I really do. Yeah. I think I, for a supercar, I think it's it's like you said, it's it's understated elegance in a supercar. Yeah, this is a supercar for adults. And uh there's a bunch yeah. of things I like about it. The fact that it's got all-wheel drive is great. It's good for uh keeping you safe and keeping you on the road and not getting you in trouble. I actually drove the V10 may uh gated manual, six-speed manual transmission at Laguna Seca. And it was just so fabulous. There's, I thought the V8 was great. And I've driven the V8s before, a few of them. And every time I drive on it, it feels special, especially with the gated manual. And then I got into the V10. I'm like, okay, this is this is the one to get. Just <laughs> uh, fabulous. Oh, by the way, uh, unlike, you know, if you live in a, a lot of areas, which is most of the country, and you have a Ferrari or Lamborghini, there's no dealer to take your, to do your service. There's probably not even a guy that can do your service. Well, you got an Audi, you just take it to your Audi dealer. That is one of the best points because I think that's what keeps a lot of people away from some of the more exotic brands is exactly what you just said. And an Audi is not that way. You just roll on up behind an A4 in the service line and throw your keys and get it fixed. That's exactly right. Get a service and maintain. Great pick. Uh, my pick was uh, also a resto mod. And I've done a, the last three were resto mods, and this is like one twenty five on the nose, one hundred twenty five thousand dollars on the nose. I love the old Bronco, absolutely love it. I like it more than I like the Range Rover, the classic Range Rover, or I'm sorry, the, the classic Land Rover. And I'm kind of uh, on the fence between this and the Land Cruiser, but you know, by American, I love the the original Bronco, and this is a resto mod with a new V eight, brand new interior. 
It's been, you know, some of these, and and Adams, you've talked about this. You can spend three, four hundred thousand dollars on one of these with beautiful, everything's perfect, ten out of ten, great materials, leather, everything like that. I didn't want something so nice. I wanted to be able to drive it on the beach or drive it uh, to the grocery store or drive it through puddles, drive it in the rain. So this is 125. It's it's very, very well uh, done. It's got a manual transmission. And um, actually, this one doesn't. But the one I would buy would have a manual. But it's just it's it's nicely done without being too nice. And it just preserves what I think is a beautiful, um, iconic American design. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with one single syllable of what you just said because it's not overdone. I and and I still I sort of shudder to think of the folks who during you know early post COVID cash they were buying crazy three hundred and four hundred thousand dollar Broncos. How could they be any nicer than this? I mean that one is just absolutely fantastic, and I can't tell it may be MFI on the fuel injection. It could be carburetor, but whatever it is, it sure looks well done. And you, you you just can't argue with that bright orange. That is just a, I, I don't yeah. know what color you'd pick. And I normally don't like orange, but it looks so right on that vehicle. Uh, we got the orange and Stefan, you're a Ford guy, but uh, Stefan, $300,000 for a Bronco. You're not getting that money back. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I, I love the Bronco, but I'll tell you what, the, the vehicle that it's because a friend of my father's, actually my dad, Steve, who taught RTC, had the International Harvester Scout. And he came over in a scout, in his scout. This is, I was probably fifth grade, so we're probably talking, I don't even know, like, I mean, late 60s. And he took us off-roading. I had never in my, I didn't even know that was a thing. He took us off-roading in that scout. So for me, I do love the Ford Bronco. I'm a huge Ford guy, but because of the nostalgic aspect I'd like to have this in a scout version of this. I would I would have to go with a, a baby blue international scout resto. You might have to ditch the original scout motor and get get one one of the <laughs> I'd put a four, I'd put a V, I'd put a Ford V8 in it. Absolutely. I'd put a small block a 302 in it. Because I think the 304s uh burned oil when they were brand new. <laughs> yeah. All those engines back there and these, you know, pickups and SUVs, they, they were just sad. They were just it was very they utilitarian. Were sad. Yeah, it was you know they were agricultural vehicles and and basically and so you have to have a brand new uh engine transmission drivetrain yeah all those right. are picks those are like christmas toy picks all of them that's perfect they are yeah, they were yeah. all right i think we're yeah. done we're out of time i got there. a picture i got i got you a quick picture so here's this here you go here's my scout look at that oh, oh. yeah look Is at that isn't, isn't that cool did did you bust the price range again, Steph? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes, this is yeah. There, there we go. Now these are being rebuilt. Educate us slightly on this before we part. Yeah, Velocity is a resto rod, complete resto rod company. You know, and these are mega mega dollars, but they are so odd. They're good looking, aren't they? Yes, I they wouldn't are. go that jacked up, but um, yeah. You know that that that's back when cars were built to a purpose. Cars, trucks, whatever you want to categorize them to a purpose that they they had no pretense. All they had was the design parameter of getting the job done. Yeah. Yeah, I like the... the like polar the, opposite of, of the Range Rover Evoke convertible. Like uh, clothes and movie stars and houses, uh, the design, you know, the Mad Men era design, it's aged so, so well. And uh, that Scout is a great example. So, all right, close this out, Stefan. All right, Merry Christmas, everybody. 
And uh, remember, like, listen, subscribe. Check us out on YouTube. Hit the bell. We're on Spotify's app as well. And uh, Merry Christmas, you guys. See you next week.